0: Listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel center ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Merry Christmas season still to all of you. It's great to, to be here together. You know, one of the things that I love a lot is I love a good story. I just love to sink into a nice story, whether it's in a book or a movie, a television show. There's something captivating about really good story. And I think one of the things that, that is one of my favorite parts of story is when you get to the moment in a story where the hero is in a situation where you're wondering, how can this possibly turn out for good they're surrounded things don't look good and this is a family sunday we've got the kids here so i thought i would kind of bring up a a good popular example the 2013 classic frozen right there's a there's a moment in this movie where princess anna is kind of her heart's frozen and we're not sure if she's going to make it and all she needs is a kiss from prince hans and you think it's going to happen, and then suddenly Hans reveals that he actually doesn't love Anna at all. He's, he's the bad guy, and he, all he wanted was power. And then Anna says to him, you're, you're never going to get away with this. And Hans says, well, I already have. And as the audience, you're like, oh. <laughs> how is it going to happen? How? How? How does this turn out for good? There's no possible way. But then for those of us who are older in the room, there's there's a part of us that says, yeah, this situation looks really bad. But, I mean, this is a Disney movie. I I know it's going to turn out right in the end. And, And the reason that we know that is because we trust that the storyteller isn't going to allow his characters to ultimately come to harm. We're going to be spending the next two weeks, this week and next, in the book of Jude, a small little letter in the back of your Bibles that my guess is maybe not many of us have spent significant time in. And Jude, many believe the brother of Jesus, is the author of this book, and he's writing to a group of Christians who are in kind of a similar situation, where they look around them and they say, what is going on? What are we supposed to do? Can we... Make it through this. And so Jude writes this letter to this group of Christians, and in verses 3 and 4, this is how our passage begins. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude says, listen, I was really, I was excited to write to you about this one thing, but then I realized the situation that you're in. And what you guys need is you need to know how to handle a situation where you're not sure if things are going to turn out right in the end. So Jude writes this letter as a rally cry to believers. And as we look at the first part of this letter today, what we see is that Jude is reminding his readers that we can trust God in the face of evil. And the evil we see around us, we can trust God. And if that is not an important message for you and I, in our situation today, I don't know what is. We trust God in the face of evil. And as Jude unpacks this idea, we see we are called to trust three elements about God that we see unfolded. We're called to trust his consistency, his authority, and his justice. In the face of evil, we can trust God's consistency, his authority, and his justice. In verses 5 through 7, we see the idea of consistency unpacked. And, And as we begin, the book of Jude is written to kind of a first century Jewish audience. And there are several illustrations that Jude will use throughout this passage that may not be as readily familiar to us. But it's important to remember that just as we kind of speak to each other, Sometimes we will use illustrations that help concretely ground a point. So it's important as we read a passage like this to instead of get tied up in some of the technical nuances, we see what is Jude really trying to say here? What is, what is the point of some of these illustrations, even if we don't fully understand what's going on? I say that to set up verses 5 through 7 and some of the other things we'll see. It says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In this section, we see Jude is encouraging his readers to see, yes, in the face of the evil that we see around us, we serve a God who consistently deals with evil. He has these three examples, illustrations that he uses, and though each are slightly different, right, the first talks about how God delivered his people, but then he he punished even those from his own chosen people who went astray. The second talking about how even these, these divine beings, these angels that we don't fully understand about, they aren't above the judgment of God for ungodliness. And then in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe something that for you and me, we, we have some kind of intuitive connections that we make when we hear that. This was a place that was an abject immorality and sin though things looked okay for them, it says God God dealt with that as well. What we have is a God who consistently deals with evil. We can trust in him, in part because he has proven that he is consistent. Sometimes when I think, when you and I, when we're trapped in our circumstances, it can be hard for us to trust and to remember that we have this consistent God. And so, so Jude comes, and, and this is how he starts off, right? He says, listen, you, you know this. I, I know you know this about God. But when we're in it, sometimes it's hard, right? We need to be reminded, encouraged. It's the same for you and me, I think, often. Intellectually, there are things that we know about God. But until we allow ourselves to be encouraged and lifted up by that at a practical level when we're going through something, that's when that stuff matters, And Jude's saying, listen, we can trust in God. He has shown over time that he is consistent in the way that he deals with evil. And the truth is, the idea of consistency and trusting on the basis of consistency, this is something that we all understand at kind of a gut human level. As we deal with each other, right? Uh, when I was growing up, there was a popular show on television called Friends. And the theme song to that show, it, it talked about how listen, you might find yourself in some difficult situations, but w- w- your friends are there for you. And in the chorus, it goes, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. There's this level that we all can understand and get on the same page with the fact that that consistency matters. If you've shown up in the past, we we have a different level of buy-in and trust that you're going to be there in the present. But even though we understand this when it comes to how we interact with one another, sometimes it gets trickier, harder when we think about trusting the consistency of God, instead of looking at kind of the overarching view of his character, how he's revealed himself to be consistent, what we do when we're in a situation is we look in God and say, yeah, but what about me? I know you did these things to those people. What about me now? What are you, what are you doing for my problem? Why is this happening? Why am I experiencing this financial struggle why have I had to watch this loved one suffer this year? You know, how come I'm not getting the relationship I wanted, the school year, the sports season I wanted? God, why is COVID even a thing? How come you can't just wipe it out? It's caused so much distress. But what we need to be able to remember is God is working in and through all things. And he is consistent in his dealings with evil, and he is faithful to you. And what we need to be able to do is to, to work at getting our hearts into a place where the ultimate sign of God's consistency is not how he has dealt with your intermediate situation. Not if he fixes that problem, provides that job, gives you that spouse, that opportunity but to look and say, you are consistent, God, because I know what you did for me on the cross, and if you do nothing else, that is sufficient. Because you took the punishment I deserved. And if that's all you ever do for me, that is consistent and faithful enough. And so in the face of the evil that I see in front of me today, I can trust that you are good because that is who you are. It is in your character, and it has been consistently revealed. We see that we can trust God because he is consistent. And as this passage goes on, we see we can trust in God, not just because of his consistency, but because he is the one who is in authority. And I think this is a very topical thing for us to discuss. Because we're in a world where there's constant tension around this one question, which is who gets to make the rules? Is it, is it God who sets a, div, a divine and perfect standard? Or do we get to sift through? And choose based on what makes sense to us. Are we the ones, ultimately, that make the rules and decide what's right or wrong? The passage continues in verses 8 through 11, and it goes like this. It says, In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, didn't himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion." Again, we could spend a lot of time kind of piecing apart all of the Old Testament and kind of Jewish kind of mythology that Jude talks about here. But what's important and what he's getting at is this idea that the tension about who ultimately gets to make the rules is as present back in the first century as it is for us today. Right? He uses that interesting phrase in verse 8 where he says, it's on the strength of their dreams that they go And pollute their bodies and and they commit this immorality. It's based on whatever they desire to do. That then becomes the only measurement by which they determine what is right and what is wrong. And what Jude does when he says this is fascinating because he's he's putting the finger, his finger, on the reality of sin. Which is to say that these sinful actions that you and that I, that we commit, are simply an outpouring of the fact that we desire desperately to be the ones who get to have the final say. Right? And we live in this kind of social media culture where that's, that's entirely true. It's the strength of our dreams that matters most. It's, it's, we, it's whether something makes sense to us. If we don't understand it, it, we don't have to follow it. And as Jude encourages his readers... He's reminding them that we are under God's authority. We are not the ones in charge. And even though we may be able to put ourselves under the illusion of authority, of control, it doesn't change the truth, which is that we are not in control. I mean, think there's, there's a kind of a really cool picture of this in the TV show, The Office. So we're going to watch this quick clip together, then we'll unpack it. Great, isn't it? You know, he goes in, he's like, I'm the one who makes the call. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire this guy that I don't like. Very quickly, Dwight realizes who's in control. And it's not him, right? You are not a manager of anything. And then you see how he responds kind of the same way that you and I do when we feel out of control? Well, that's not entirely true. There's, there's this thing that I'm in control of, and, and yeah, maybe you're in control, but can you still do the thing I want you to do? You know, no matter how well we fool ourselves, no matter how many times or ways that we try to position our lives in a way that we feel like we have control, the truth of the matter is it will come a time for all of us where we... Are presented with the truth that we are not in control we are not the ones who ultimately have authority and this is the tension that Jude's talking about and this is something that we kind of especially feel within our time right the strength of their dreams anything you see today social media around the world if somebody can say I'm doing this for the sake of my dream Or because it's making me feel like my truest and best self. If you said that today, anything that it takes to get that becomes immediately excusable. Because you get to determine that. It's all about you. As long as you're living your best life, that's all right. We've, We've put ourselves in this position where we can be selectively obedient to God. If those things make sense to us, That's well and good, but we we live in this culture that's allergic, it seems, to submission under authority. We won't do it. And this idea that we'll gladly go along with God's commands so long as it makes sense to us or feels good to us, that's not submitting to authority, that's not being obedient, that's just agreeing. And that's not what God calls for. Two peers can agree. A god and an ant, a lion and a mouse, there's no agreement there. One clearly has power, the other does not. This is how you and I stand before God. God is, is loving, God is amazing, good, gracious, but he is the one who is in authority and there is no mistaking that. Selective obedience is not obedience so when we talk about trusting god's authority it's not enough for us to be able to intellectually say yes god you are the king except where it goes against what i would desire for myself he's either the god of everything or he's the god of nothing so where in your life do you look to trust in your own authority instead of god's maybe for you it's in your relationships you know the Bible says certain things about sex, marriage, what those boundaries are supposed to look like. But you say to yourself, well, listen, that doesn't really make sense to me. I'll do it my way. Or maybe you say, listen, I get why it makes sense, but, but God, you don't understand my situation. That's not the point. It's not about it making sense. To you, This is what Jude's talking about. You don't get to be selectively obedient based on what makes sense to you. If you don't understand it, that doesn't mean that's not a point. It's not optional for you because it doesn't make sense. He's an authority, not you. Or maybe for you it's in your workplace. You look around and you feel like everybody else is doing all this stuff. And you feel like the cost of being faithful is just too much. If I was just okay with cutting this corner, doing this thing. But if we can trust God, saying he's the one who is consistent, he is the one who has authority, then we can say, listen, even if I'm the only one who's doing this, this way, I will submit. Because he is an authority. He is good and he has called me. You know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are going to be times in each of our lives where we will feel like obedience and submission is costly. That's going to happen. Because each of us are sinful. That's what happens with sin. It's going to feel like obedience is costly because we, by nature, are not correctly in line with how God designed and desires for us to be. The question, then is whether you were willing to let go, to trust that even when it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to follow because I know he is the one in authority. He is good. I will trust in him. I know he is good, so I will obey. As we look at this last section, we're going to see that we can trust him not only on the basis of his consistency and authority, but because he is perfectly just. His justice is good. Verses 12 through 16 read like this. It says, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up with sh- their shame, wandering stars from the blackest darkness has been r- reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. In this section, we see a fairly strong condemnation of ungodliness, of of the evil that we see around us. And I think what is important to see here is what we see Jude saying is, listen, there is such a thing as evil. God sees it. And he is righteous to judge it. Evil does not escape God's attention. And he will deal with it because he is just because yes, people can do any number of things. And in a time, it might look like, how in the world are they getting away with this? Where is justice? God is just. And in his time, all will be judged. And will be judged well. It's not hidden from God. He sees evil. He deals with it according to his justice. You know, when I was in high school, I was a part of the junior ROTC, and I really badly wanted to be the squadron commander of our ROTC unit. I had no military aspirations, but the uniform was awesome, and I enjoyed leadership training, so I I really, really wanted to be the squadron commander. And you basically have two opportunities, the spring of your junior year and the fall of your senior year, and both of those times, I was passed by. I was the operations officer, the second in command of the squadron, but I wasn't ever made squadron commander, and I remember looking at the people who were picked over me and feeling like, man, I got passed over for that person? What's, what's going on? And I remember kind of seething about this internally as, as I am wont to do sometimes for better or for worse. And there came a day near the end of my senior year where the instructor of our squadron, he's Master Sergeant De his name, and he, he pulled me aside. He said, Jack, hey, listen, I know that you really wanted this. And I want you to know, it's not that I didn't think you could do it, but listen, these other people who were squadron commander, they, they wanted to try to get into military academies. And for them, that really mattered to be able to have that on their resume. You didn't need that. So I want you to know, it's not that I don't believe in you, because you've got a lot going for you. And you know, suddenly even though nothing about my external realities changed. It didn't make me squadron commander. But it changed everything. Because the one whose opinion mattered most, I knew he saw me, that he cared. And you know, I think that's what some of us need to hear. Today, when we look and we get discouraged at the things going around us, the atrocities that happened in Nashville just this past week, some of the injustices we feel like we've had to suffer with loved ones being sick or hurt. We say, God, are you looking? And what we need to hear is that God sees. God sees it. He knows what evil is and he calls it by name and he is righteous to judge it. We serve a good God. And in these moments when we feel like everything is out of control, we are called to trust in God's justice. Because while we live in a broken world and we will continue to experience brokenness, nothing magical is going to happen on January 1st, 2021. Evil that we see and have seen, we will see in the future. Yet God is righteous to judge and we can trust in that. But even though we can take comfort in this, there should be a part of this passage, this part that we just read, that should maybe be a little convicting for you and for me. Because when it talks about God sending his holy ones down to judge ungodliness, I think that's all well and good for those of us who see the ungodliness happening all around outside of us. But what about the ungodliness in your heart? What about the things that you think or do or say? What about mine? See, if all ungodliness is judged, that means that something's got to be done about yours and mine as well. It's not just the sliding scale of, well, I'm slightly better than this person. Because when God comes to judge all ungodliness, what you will find is that you will be measured infinitely short. No matter how much better you are than the next person or think you are. But yet while we face the reality that all ungodliness stands condemned, you and I stand infinitely short of the mark. What those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ get in the face of this is a beautiful hope. Because we get to trust the unbelievable reality that Jesus Christ, in coming to this earth and dying on the cross, has actually suffered and satisfied the full punishment of all ungodliness, for us. And in the face of this evil, we can trust the one who took the suffering, who took the consequence of our evil in our place and stands today in victory. And maybe for you today, this is something that you've never come to on your own. You've been seeking after something to trust, and honestly, everything that you've ran to has just kind of let you down. Come up just a pound short. But maybe today, you can leave behind the endless pursuit of things that we'll never be able to satisfy. And you can come to God through the one who came, who we celebrated just this past Friday on Christmas, who suffered that all the ways that you and I fall short might be atoned. And you can come to the one who is truly consistent, who has true authority, and it's perfectly just in the face of a world that seems like it brings endless injustice. Maybe today can be your day to say I will go to the one who will not change and who will not fail. We will experience brokenness. We will experience evil. But we can trust God in the face of evil. Let's pray. God, I pray for the hearts that are in this room that so desperately seek for something. God, I pray that this day might be a day that they might be able to say, God, can I latch to you? Can what you did on the cross be sufficient for me? And may they find the joy of the acceptance that comes from what you did on the cross. God, I pray for every heart in this room, for we all wander. We all fail to trust perfectly, God, but I pray that you would help bind our hearts to you anew this day. That we would trust that you are consistent, even when we don't feel it. That we might be able to submit to our authority, even if it's a place that we'd rather you not touch. And God, remind us that you are just. And that that makes the cross beautiful because the punishment meant for us was given to your son. May that be a joy and a fuel and a hope for us today. And may it cause us to cling all the deeper to you. God, we love you. And we pray, Lord, that whatever happens this new year, you would be at work bringing about your will through us. We pray these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9:30 or 11 am. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at Ogdenchurch.org or Facebook.